by the way, so if you take a look at a lawyer, an accountant, these are the two musts that you have to have in your business. You know, it's, it's not something that uh, you just, oh, I'm just going to go and, at least for me, it's not something I'm just going to go on the cheap. And Hey everyone, it's Norm Ferrar, aka The Beard Guy here, and welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. Today, we're talking, and we're not going to make this boring, we're talking about legal trends and issues uh, with Amazon in 2023. We're going to be talking about trademarks. We're going to be talking about how sellers can be more proactive about protecting their Amazon business. What's the status of e-com, your e-com exit? What is that market looking like? Has it dried up uh, or is it still lucrative? And what challenges do Amazon uh, sellers face when they're selling their business? All right, sit back and relax and welcome to another Lunch with Norm, the e-commerce and Amazon FBA podcast. Okay, today, legal trends and issues with Amazon 2023. Our guest, I've tried to get him on here for some time now. So this is a surprise that this is going to be his first time on. But our guest is the attorney. Uh, he is an attorney in private practice focused in the field of e-commerce law and the founder of SellerBasics.com. He understands the issues of uh, that e-com business owners face day to day and focuses on being ahead of the issues that have uh have the potential of changing e-commerce. In 2021, he and his partner uh, helped Amazon sellers realize over a quarter billion dollars in exit proceeds. First time guest and a buddy of mine from, she's all over, but Puerto Rico was the last time we sat down, had a cigar together. And this is Paul Raffleson. So uh, we'll get to Paul in just a second, but first a word from our sponsor. This episode of Lunch with Norm is sponsored by VAA Philippines. Looking for a high-quality virtual assistant for your business? With the rigorous screening, intensive Amazon and Walmart training, and ongoing professional development, get the peace of mind with skill and motivated virtual assistants for a long-term working relationship. Hire through VAA today, and now let's get back to the show. Now sit back, relax. Enjoy the episode and welcome, Paul. Hi. How's it going? I, I'm doing okay. The last saw, time I saw you, it was 4 a.m. or You were you left at about 2, 2.30. Kevin and I were in the cigar <laughs> lounge till about 4, 4.30. I, I'm surprised they never kicked us out, but that was in Puerto Rico. Yeah, they. Uh, so I, I think my flight was supposed to be at like 1, and then it was delayed and delayed and delayed. And so, yeah, I had to be at the airport. So, like, I ended up not going to the airport till about 4 a.m. I mean, I, mean I, I know all I know is I got back to New York. It was like n almost nine in the morning when I think I was originally supposed to be back for like three or four. It was, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was, it was, or five or six or something, but it was, it was like a really long and tiring delay. But I had a lot of fun with you guys sitting in the lounge. It was, it was really interesting to hear a lot about you guys and your, you know, the stories and, and, and backstories. It was just, it was really a lot of fun. I, it definitely and, was, was the best delay I've ever had. So. And right back at you, because uh, again, this is going to just lead into uh, going to these events. So 
the I think the World E-Commerce Forum, we actually have uh, uh, a link for free tickets. So no charge whatsoever. So if you're in that area, you know, you can use it. There's no affiliate fee. Uh, I am speaking, uh, but it's the events where things happen. And at Kevin's event, it's great, high level networking, but we've never had a chance to really sit down and talk. No. And during the event, we went out and we had barbecue together. And that's when we started talking. <laughs> And then, yes. you know, the next day uh, or a couple of days after, we actually had a really great conversation. And this is where uh, breaking bread with people, being able to sit down, some of them it had nothing to do with Amazon. It was just hilarious or funny stories or just interesting stories that happened uh, in the past. And a lot of them were you, by the way, uh, you, you know, and actually I remember Kevin and I were walking back uh, just back to the lobby and it was like, wow, I never knew about that about Paul. That was really interesting. So get out there, guys, get to these uh, these sessions and, you know, get to meet people. I say that all the time. But now let's get into this. Let's talk a little bit about uh, where should we even start? Why don't we start with trademarks? We started we started talking about that at the very yeah. beginning, pre. Why don't we talk about that? What's the right and the wrong way to do a trademark? And by the way, guys, we have a really, really good giveaway today on the Wheel of Kelsey. Yes, it's a very inspired giveaway, which we'll talk about when the time comes. But uh, it's a good segue to getting there eventually. But, yeah, you know, I think, you know, the mistakes people make with trademarks is one is just not doing the research. So, you know, we can file your trademark for you just like any other service can, whether it's a law firm or if you use, you know, trademark, you know, one of those types of services. But um, the analysis we put in, you know, people don't realize like you're about to invest. And I think this is in part Amazon's fault with the way they run the brand registry. They give people the impression that all you need is a trademark application and you're good to go with brand registry. But what they don't realize is like if that trademark fails, right, you've just wasted a ton of money and a ton of time building out a brand that you can't use, right? And Amazon will eventually close down your brand registry and shut it down if your trademark doesn't go. So, you know, putting in the work beforehand to kind of make sure you have a good trademark, I think is really important. That's that's the first mistake I think people make. And we've seen that a lot, you yeah. know, especially people coming out of different courses and thinking, okay, they're not really getting the, the training they need or, or the understanding they need that, you know, this is the most important asset to your business. When you sell your business, your trademark really, really encapsulates the majority of the value, what you're getting paid millions of dollars for. It's your trademark, which encapsulates the goodwill that's related to your business. And so that's really important. So that's one mistake people make. The other mistake, which is becoming my pet peeve in, in the world, and it's sort of something that I'm like on a mission to sort of address is private label sellers. So we do a lot of M&A. We help our clients sell their businesses, right? So when you sell your business, you have to make certain promises about your business, about like that you have title to all of these assets, right? Um, if I had a company that was called, you know, Apple cell phone accessories, right? And I've managed to fly the radar, but now it's time to sell it. I might have a problem promising to the buyer that I have the right to use Apple cell phone accessories as a trademark, right? So it's a really silly example, but I just want to make the point that you have to own the IP. The problem what I see a lot of Amazon sellers do is they, they, they go, they register that one trademark because maybe that's what their course person taught them to do. And that's it. And then they come up with like seven different variations, different logos, different um, 
uh, what's the word, uh, slogans. And none of that's registered. And now they're going to sell a business. It's like, wow, your hero variation, right? And what do I mean by variations? Think Kellogg's cereal. Like the easiest way to think that is go to the cereal aisle. Imagine yourself in the cereal aisle of your grocery store, right? And there's Kellogg's cereal. Well, we all know the brand Kellogg, right? Um, but there's not just Kellogg's, right? There's Fruit Loops, there's Rice Krispies, there's Raisin Bran, there's all these other sort of sub-brands. And that's what people are really ignoring when they come up with variation products is they're not, you know, they're giving it cutesy names, right? Like, um, you know, Radical Raspberry or something like that. Let's say that's a flavor or scent or something, but they don't actually go as far as to register that with the trademark office. And then when it comes time to sell, that could be a real problem because if that's a very valuable skew and you can't prove that you own it, right? And nobody else has a claim to it. It's, this makes a very uncomfortable exit. We'll just leave it that way. And sometimes can be a deal killer. Right. Uh, I'm wondering about, so a lot of people try to do this themselves. And I, I say this on some episodes, there's a right place and a wrong place to spend money. And IP is definitely a right place to spend money. But when I say spend money, I don't mean be cheap. It'll come back and bite you. So I don't know about you, Paul, but there's a lot of places out there and there's a lot of people that have masterminds that say, oh, you don't need a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, we deal with that a lot. Like I always start sort of joke and say as a lawyer in the space, like my biggest competitor is like LegalZoom, right? Mm -hmm. It's this idea of DIY. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, for one, again, with trademark, I mean, people have no clue. They just look at, they look at the, you know, this is what a classic DIY trademarker does. They go on the U.S. trademark office, they punch in a name, like, like as if it's a domain, right? right? Like as if they're doing a domain search, like, oh, name doesn't show up. And there's nothing really that close. So I should be good to go. But that's not how trademark works in our country. In, in America, in the United States, trademark is, is about first to use, not first to file. So you can have trademarks being used in other contexts. And that, that company using the trademark could have a prior claim to you. Even if you were first to file, they can claim, hey, we were using this first and we can prove it, right? Then there's the issue of, well, what if your trademark just isn't appropriate? Like, let's say it's descriptive or let's say it's, you know, you used a, a point of origin, like, um, you know, Boston, Boston baked beans or something like that. Right. That can be an issue, too, depending if you're from, you know, if it's if it's directly correlated to where, where, where the product is from. Um, but there's all these other issues. And so, yeah, working with a lawyer, I mean, to me, if you're serious about building your business and it's obviously sounds self-serving, but it's really not because it's just common sense. Like business is complicated. Right. Amazon is complicated. It's much more complicated today, especially than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Right. Amazon takes everything seriously. Um, you know, they want compliance. Um, you know, I've had clients who come to me and saying that they're having FDA, you know, uh, food and drug administration issues, registration issues, because their product was never properly registered because for the last 10 years, Amazon didn't care. Suddenly Amazon cares. And they're like, Oh shoot, I should have registered this product. I'm like, yeah, you should have. Uh, and it may take a long time now before you can get there. So we see a lot of this, like people just kind of ignoring legal, and then maybe in part that's because it's expensive. So we've created programs to make it a little cheaper, like Seller Basics. We've kind of created this cool program where you can at least talk to a lawyer for $100 a month and not feel like you're going to get this crazy bill. Um, we try to do flat rates through a law firm as much as we can, depending on the nature of the product. But I mean, 
I think people miss this opportunity to build a relationship with a lawyer who's knowledgeable. You know, I think an LLC is a perfect example. You know, you go out, you form your company, but you really, you can do it yourself and you can hire one of those entity mill programs to do it, but you just miss that opportunity to build a relationship with a lawyer who can help you through that sort of launch, grow and exit of your business. And that's what we focus on, right? We're focusing on building that relationship. Um, and we understand startups are not flush with cash. So we've also built our business to be easier on the front end, but, and to grow with, right? So I actually think we invest in our clients to be honest with you. Like, that's how I view it. Like we invest in our clients. Like we're not out there trying to pinch for every dime on the front end. We understand you're starting up. There's a lot of expenses. You're trying to cover a lot of things. So we kind of like to go easy on the front end. And then as you grow, then we can start, you know, charging sort of our regular rates as, as, as we should as a lawyer, right? The investment starts to turn. Not everyone, mm -hmm. a lot of our clients don't go anywhere, they, you know, but, and I think it's a great model because I think during the big exit bubble of 2021, especially when the aggregators were in full force, I mean, I had clients who I knew from like 2017 who were barely doing a couple hundred grand who were selling businesses now for 10 million. So it was very bittersweet to see that investment that we make in our clients pay off, you know, coming, you know, everyone's happy, right? Um, so that's kind of our philosophy and how we approach it. But I, I agree with you. I think people should, should build a relationship with their lawyer. I think it's, it's, it's something that is it's odd to me. People are so eager to get an accountant. It's like the accountant, you know, not even an accountant, like a bookkeeper. It's just like yeah. taking your da data, using A2X software and presenting it to you in a, you know, they're not even qualified. They don't even have to be a CPA. It's like, you know, people spend, I've heard people spending thousands and thousands of dollars a month on bookkeeping. And I'm like, what, what do you think, what, what do you think they're doing for you? Like they're literally just taking your data, running it through, presenting it to you. I mean, you should be able to do that much cheaper, but it's funny. You know, we're, we're just, we're just, you know, a lot of people have made, made the point of saying like, we don't, they don't need the lawyers, you know, and maybe we're the first to go in the generation, who knows. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, when you, when you hear something like that, if you're, if you truly are or want to be a brand uh, and you're not just testing the waters, uh, the best way to protect yourself, but also uh, it's an asset. Like when you start looking at these, uh, trademarks like what is it worth for you to trademark and uh, by the way so if you take a look at a lawyer an accountant these are the two musts that you have to have in your business you know it's, it's not something that uh you just oh i'm just gonna go and at least for me it's not something i'm just gonna go on the cheap and uh you know if i'm building a business i need an accountant and I need a lawyer. An accountant is not a bookkeeper. And a, the bookkeeper has got to know e-commerce. Yeah. You know, it, you these, are, these are the things that you need to run a business. And if you're worried about a couple of hundred dollars there, if you're like, and I'm talking about uh, people that are now up, they're selling, they've got the, yeah. the you know, six months to a year behind them. Uh, and they know that this is where they want to go. It's something that you got to look at. One of the other things I want to talk about uh, Paul is uh, in a trademark. If we can get a little bit deeper into it, sure. you don't go to test and just check it out. It says, Oh, no words. If it came back or no phrases come back, you know, I would go to a, a lawyer. That's an IP lawyer that could go and check this out for you. You go and you create a name search and you do the research. That's part of the, the cost involved. Um, but also there's classes. 
And a lot of people don't realize about if you're doing certain things, you might have to, uh, you know, buy different classes. Mm -hmm. For example, like if you're doing print on demand, you might have uh, something that's for apparel. You might have another class that's for, who knows, uh, coffee mugs. But mm -hmm. can you get into that? Because I don't think a lot of people, I don't think anybody talks about the different classes that you might need when you're selling products with that trademark. Yeah, I mean, I think we see mistakes made all the time. People choose the wrong class. Um, you know, it's people choosing one class. Like, like, again, this goes back to my point about sort of why we're like encouraging people to go through these trademark audits, right? That my, my trademark attorney, Bethany, is sort of, you know, spearheading this project of like sort of getting people to go back and look their IP because yeah, it's like, okay, when I started, I started selling um, golf tees. Okay, I've got branded golf tees. And then I expanded into golf, uh, golf club covers. And I expanded into, you know, like socks. Then I expanded into, and it's like nobody ever goes back and adds the classes to the trademarks that they need, right? When they do those things. And that's really common because again, there's this sort of like disconnect with Amazon. Like once you have brand registry, you're done with trademark, which is the biggest mistake we see. So um, we see it all the time, you know, or people file and, and they want to change your class midway through. You can't, right? You got to start a new application, right? You can't amend to change the class like midway through the application. Like if the trademark office says that you're in the wrong class, like you can't go back and refix it. Like you got to start over. And it's such a slow process now to get a trademark. It's taken over a year. Right. Mm. From the time you file, the time they actually approve it. Right. And you actually have a registered mark. It's taken well over a year. Right. Like since COVID, it's gotten worse. Um, used to be like eight or nine months. Now it's like a year. I don't know if it's gotten better. Maybe it has. But um, that's where I think it's probably year. still that's around that. I think it's still. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to mess this stuff up because you don't want to, you know, and again, like you said, like you're going to sell your business. Right. One day. And it's like, you don't want to find out in the middle of the sale, like, hey, your buyer's uncomfortable because you can't prove you own the trademark for the class of product you sell. Or you don't own the trademark for the variation, the name of the product that you're using, right? Those are the points that we're trying to make and saying, like, people should really take a, a, a deep dive trademark on it, right? Now that you're on your feet, right? It's one, I get it. If you're just starting out and you're like, you know, you're, you know, cash is, cash is tight. But if you're 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 cash flowing and doing business, you really need to go back and start auditing those trademarks. If you have any, especially if you have an intention of exiting one day, but even if you don't exit, it's still important because if you don't have the right trademark or the right class, right, for the products you're selling, somebody can stop you from selling them, right? Somebody else can come in and say, hey, I had that before you. Because one of the things we do when we run a trademark search is we're not just looking at tests, we're looking at the entire internet, right? Like we use third-party service providers that go and scour the internet for that word, right? And they look for examples. And sometimes, you know, I found, oh, the trademark looks good, but apparently this is like, uh, this is a product made by L'Oreal with that name. Do you want to go up and battle L'Oreal for that trademark? You know, yeah, like, really. You know, that's a risk you have to know, right? And some people might say, hey, I was giving a shot. If they stopped me, they stopped me. Um, I'll take the risk. But a lot of people, it's, you know, you need to know those things. So those those searches are really important. Knowing your classes, knowing, having a sense of vision where you're going to go from here. So not just sticking to the class that you're in, but other classes, like you said, you know, thinking more holistically about where you're going to go from here. What's a natural point of expansion? Should you start buying those classes now? Even if you don't want to pay for those classes now, at least seeing if they're available. Because if, if you know right now, oh, shoot, like in the mug you know in the mug category i can't get this trademark and you're trying to do print on demand like that could be a problem for your business like you said so you want to know sooner than later that's our point of view yeah one of the other things too when 
when somebody comes down on you or starts to file a complaint. So in Amazon, uh, your listing comes down. Uh, mm-hmm. We've had this with, with uh, a brand that uh, we work with and they were surprised all of a sudden, boom, all their effort they put into YouTube gone, like immediately, not, I mean, immediately. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, bang, 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 bang. They were just shut down, shut down, shut down. And uh, I'm the other thing that can happen here is, if, and again, with a trademark, it's about causing confusion in the marketplace, right? right exactly. So it doesn't have to be the exact word. It could be cause confusion. And I'm thinking of Kelsey knows what we're talking about right now. There's a client we're working with that spent a lot of money uh, on trademarks and a company that I wouldn't even think was similar, but it is similar a little bit. Um, and they've come back and they've caused this company hell. And also the other thing that can happen, tell me if I'm wrong. If you, if you have a, a website that's, uh, let's say it's Amazon or if even if it's e-commerce, uh, like a Shopify store, they can come after mm-hmm. you for loss of profits, can't they? Absolutely. Especially if they're registered, if they're registered, they can. So they, well, if they're not registered, right. I think they're, they're capped at lost, lost profits, but if they are registered. You can start bringing statutory damages as well. So you can, really and that, that, that's not uh, like to get a, a trademark is not that bad. Uh, when you start with lawsuits and having to deal with that, uh, don't wish that on yeah, anybody. I mean, it's easy to get <laughs> shut down when you don't have it, right? I mean, that's, I mean like, right. we charge. I mean, we charge. I think, like, like if you're a member of our seller, if you're a member of the seller basics program, which is separate from our law practice, but we yeah. offer discounts, right? We have a network of lawyers, including our own, who offer discounts to the to the members of seller basics. Uh, I think it's like seven ninety nine, including the government fees, which are like two fifty. So we're paying like five hundred bucks. Like, like I've got to pay my paralegal, right? But we're not making bank. Like, we're not. We're we're similar to trade market. Like, we'd have to be doing massive volume of trademarks for it to make any money same with lcs yeah. but we do it because we have to it's like it's a it's our again it's in my opinion like the you know the quote of the day from from simon was uh my, my statement of build a relationship with a lawyer that's how we view it trademark filings lc filings that's build a relationship with a lawyer right uh 101 like this is how we get to know you it's how we start you know but it's not a money maker for us and where our law firm is not you know you know, you know built to do a thousand quadrillion trademarks like some of the other software you know bigger services are but that's not the point um so it very much is a loss leader for us to right. you know to do llc's and trademarks but we, we want to get people in the door uh and get to meet people that way so and on that note it's the bottom of the hour and uh if if you're watching we've got quite a few people watching right now live uh if this is the first time that you're watching uh we have something called the wheel of kelsey at the top of the hour and that's a giveaway. Um, usually the uh, our guests are providing uh, something, a service, consult, and we have a great giveaway today. Uh, and to enter, it's hashtag Wheel of Kelsey, tag two people, you get a second entry. Paul, what are we doing today? So in the spirit again, because today, I, trademark is my campaign, right? This is something that I think is important that I think sellers have ignored. So um, I know that a lot of people watching the show probably aren't people who are selling for the first time. So you're probably wondering why would I get out a free trademark filing? But that's what we're giving out today because that's what we're talking about here. Everybody needs to go and look at their trademarks and see what needs to be filed. Everyone needs to do this sort of audit of their IP and say, okay, here's where I'm getting trademarks. So today's giveaway, 
is a free trademark filing with our firm. Um, and so whoever wins, we look forward to meeting you and, and, and hope to get something on file for you, whether it's for your That's new brand or for your existing brand. We're looking forward to it. Perfect. All right. So, Kels, let's go to a word from our sponsor and then we'll come right back. This episode of Lunch with Norm is sponsored by SureGo Marketing. Ready to take your brand to the next level on TikTok and Instagram? SureGo Marketing specializes in helping entrepreneurs and coaches build profitable brands on TikTok and Instagram and in less than 90 days. With SureGo Marketing, you can build your brand, create incredible video content, and increase leads without spending a single dime on ad spend. Visit SureGoMarketing.com today and elevate your brand. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay. Any other types of IP that sellers are making mistakes with? I mean, there's always mistakes with, you know, copyright. Um, it's also the making mistakes with how they're using brand registry. I mean, copyright is an easy low-hanging fruit. It's pretty easy to file those. I mean, you could probably do them yourself. Um, with respect to exits and IP, I'm a big believer in cataloging what you have. So, because this comes up all the time, you know, buyers get really annoyed when you don't know where your IP is from. What do I mean by that? Like you use somebody on Fiverr. Who did you use? I don't remember. Where did the person on Fiverr get the images that they're blending into your, you know, like if they're using stock photography, where did they get that from? What, yep. what agreement did they use? Um, I mean, I've seen situations where people use stock photography on their packaging and the, and, the, and, and the licenses have limitations, right? Like you're not supposed to use it on packaging. Or if you do use it on packaging, you have to buy the license again every thousand units or something like that, right? And, and nobody's policing that. Nobody's so tracking your IT is super important your copyrights, patent, you know, I'm a big believer, you know, you, if you think you have something worth patenting, it's worth exploring. Um, the problem with patent is it's very expensive to obtain. It's also very expensive to enforce, right? So, um, and depending on the type of patent, you know, there, there can be workarounds, but, you know, in certain cases, patents can be very valuable for your business. But again, you got to do that right away. I mean, you have, you know, basically a year from when you first publicly show the product for sale, right, in commerce, you pretty much have a year. It's called the grace period, right? To get that on file. Um, but I think just generally speaking, uh, people just need to sort of catalog their IP, whether it's photos, whether it's, you know, listing content, whether it's, you know, what we call, co you know, common law trademarks that need to be registered. We, people need to start taking, taking ownership of that stuff right now. When I was a uh, much younger, much younger, beardless and hair, I beardless. had hair. And, and hair. Uh, I used to do the cheap man's uh, registry. And what I would, and uh, I don't think, I, I, I know it's first to publish, but I just took uh, a printout of my logo or website and I just mailed it, registered mail. I've got stacks from back in the 90s uh, of all these <laughs> logos and websites uh, in the 2000s that I owned. And um, anyways, I just sent them to me registered mail so I could prove that I had published it without a trademark. But uh, now I try to trademark anything that uh, that I do. And for copyright, let's be clear about this. I've heard people say that um, as long as you can prove, like you can use a Wayback Machine, for example, but as long as you can prove that your uh, your copy, either on your website, uh, or let's say your website or your blog uh, has been published on a certain date, that's fine. You don't have to register. Is that different? 
It's the same thing. Again, two things occur when you register. One, it you know it secures your place, right? Removes removes certain doubt. And two, it, it accelerates your damages, right? So um, again, you're limiting to to you know lost profits if you're not registered. Whereas then, if you actually have a registered copyright, um, you have the ability to to achieve statutory damages. You also need a copyright to be registered if you want to take somebody to court on a copyright issue. So if you have a serious copyright, and I I encourage people to um, like, I love to tell my supplement clients, I, I always tell my supplement clients, supplement clients tend to fall into the trap of using really generic looking labels that can be easily ripped off without right. like, like not a copyright violation, right? Like if your label is just like a two-tone color thing, right? Like the copyright office isn't going to give you a copyright on that. It's probably not going to qualify for trademark or trade dress. So you're probably, what tends to happen, I see this in supplements a lot. You might see it in other products where okay, this, you know, I have a vitamin D supplement with a sort of generic looking label and it says Paul Labs, right? The next guy comes up and he's got, you know, Bob Labs and he just literally looks just like my product, but it's $10 cheaper. And the user on Amazon, it's a very visual medium, right? They're scrolling through. They may not even notice the difference in the text because it's so subtle, but they see the color scheme. And, oh, that's, the, that's, my, that's my usual for vitamin C or whatever. And so they buy it. And I always encourage supplement sellers like use copyright, make some cool drawings, get some cool drawings, commission them, put them on your bottles so it's harder to rip off, right? Use IP to your advantage, right? To distinguish yourself so that you don't have to worry about rip off people trying to visually sort of hijack your results in the land in, in the listing page, you know, on the on the result page. Um, so that's that's one thing. I, I really encourage people to use copyright. Registering a copyright is really cheap. I mean, it's it's, it's a few hundred bucks. Um, and you can do quite a lot at once. So it's, it, you know, especially with photos. Uh, but like I said, if you want to sue somebody for copyright infringement, so you, if you've been infringed, you have to first register that copyright. So you need it to be registered really to, to, to take any legal action in court. Um, and so, you know, worth, worth having because it's very cheap uh, to, to obtain. And I think people should, should go and file for copyrights. So again, I don't think we charge very much at all for, 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 for helping people, but we also, encourage people to do it on their own because it's just that basic. It's pretty easy. Right. Um, we don't, you know, we're not trying to make it more complicated than it seems. Um, it, it's an easy one. So I think that's important. I think the other thing on IP to talk about is just how people are misusing brand registry. I do. I think it's worth talking about <laughs> that, you know, like it's not, um, you know, especially trademark. Like when somebody sells your product, I just want to be clear about this. When somebody sells your product on your listing, right? So you're selling, um, let me say, you're selling these coasters, okay? Yep. You're selling these coasters. If somebody comes on and they have, they have, you know, two cases of your coasters somehow, but they're authentic, right? Not stolen. Like maybe they bought them at Walmart. Maybe they bought them somewhere else. But they somehow got two, two, two pallets of your coasters and now they're selling on your listing. That's not a hijacking. I just want to be clear because Amazon does not view that as a hijacking. Right. Um, Amazon used that as a valid third-party seller, reseller, right? And if you don't like that person on your listing, there might be ways you can go about scaring them off the listing, right? There are law firms that specialize in that. Mm -hmm. um, but what you don't do in that situation is you file a brand registry takedown. Because if Amazon finds out that you did that, and they find out that the person's products were authentic. Like let's say they have receipts from Walmart or some credible source, right? Let's say they're very credible invoices or they bought it directly from your website, right? So they can show they bought it directly from you. If, Walmart, if Amazon finds out that that's true and you filed a counterfeit takedown or trademark takedown, 
Amazon doesn't see it that way. They don't believe that somebody selling on your listing, as long as the goods are authentic, is an hijacker or is violating any trademark law. And it says they, they actually put it in their business solutions agreement that they support what's called the first sale doctrine. And what we're seeing is, and this, this started with some of the work we were doing with our resellers, right? Because we help a lot of resellers too, like half of our business, you know, especially in the seller basic side, half that business is helping resellers, uh, retail arbitrage, wholesale. Um, and what Amazon started doing is they started punishing people who use brand registry to take down resellers of valid, authentic products. So what I'm here to tell you is that's not the move. Don't go filing IP takedowns against sellers just because they're selling your product. You really need to do the investigation. Obviously, if it really is counterfeit, that's a different story. Um, if you want to scare them off your listing, there may be another way to do it outside of the Amazon ecosystem, but don't use the brand registry takedown unless you know something is truly counterfeit, like you didn't make it, that's, that's one way. Or it can be trademark infringement. Most likely trademark infringement won't occur, won't occur on your listing. It'll be some other listing, right? So they're using your trademark on another listing, right? Um, that's where you would use a trademark takedown typically. Um, yeah, one, yeah. Of the, uh, one of the things that I try to do, uh, first of all, exactly what you said, uh, just because you have somebody reselling doesn't mean that they're a counterfeiter or a hijacker. Uh, if I see this, what I tell any of the brands that are working with us, buy it just mm -hmm. buy it and see if it's it's counterfeit or not and if it is counterfeit i take a picture of it uh I, I i'll take a picture i'll just grab some craft paper throw it back to amazon and put on the outside do not restock this is a counterfeit and send it back to them and and then make the the claim but another thing that i see is misused is project zero where people mm -hmm. think that they can just knock, you, you know, just kick off uh, people who are counterfeiters on the site. And that could come back and bite you. Like you were saying, if, if this is a legit brand or this is a legit reseller, mm -hmm. you just did a, uh, uh, you, you could end up with a lawsuit on your hand because they were legit. Is that correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. If you file... Uh, we, it's funny, we had a case, this was a patent abuse case. So we had a, we had a client, two clients actually, who uh, were selling a kitchen product with a bamboo lid. And this like patent troll in Florida, I don't know, these young kids decided that, you know, they claimed that they had a design patent on this thing. And, um, and so they took our clients down. Well, our clients came back, we did some research and we found a couple of things. One, we found... Um, one of the things about patents that people have to understand, and this is what we always tell people to do whenever they get involved in a patent dispute, is first figure out when was the patent actually originally filed? Like go back to the original first. If there's a provisional, go back to the provisional date. If that date is 2020, okay, let's say it's January 1st, 2020, probably, right? Now let's go to January 1st, 2019, one year before. That's our grace period. Now what I want you to do is I want you to search on the internet, YouTube, eBay, wherever you can, Wayback Machine, Find me something that looks identical to that product from prior to January 1st, 2019. Even if it's not yours, did it exist? Because the theory with, with the, under, you know, the underlying point of patent is you can't, you can't patent what's already invented, right. right? I can't patent this coaster. It's already there. It's already made, right? I can't go and file a patent. It's disingenuous. It's prior art. So what happened here was we actually found an Ikea catalog from 2016 in Sweden. So years and years before this patent was ever filed, and we bought it, it was like five bucks. 
And we use that catalog to show to the court that our client um, wasn't infringing on any patent, that this was a bogus infringement. And what was really interesting about the case it was one of the first times we ever got the court to do this. The court actually said, because we had told them about the Ikea catalog and they refused to retract their claim against my clients, right? That they still, they basically maintain their position, right? They, 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 they stood, stood by their claim. They were now subject to like uh, deceptive practices damages under the state uh, deceptive practices act, which really opened them up to liability, which was a first time, you know, so it was a really cool ruling because it was like, yeah, you can get in trouble. If you start willy nilly dishing out those IP infringements, I mean, you do have some latitude to assert, right? Patent infringement. You have some latitude to insert trademark infringement, but if you're doing it maliciously, absolutely it can come back to bite you in a big, big way. And as, as Chuck is saying in the chat, like, like people have lost their brand registry rights, hundred percent. We are aware of that. We're trying to, and we, we help people try to get it back because sometimes they're, even when they're right, they're just doing it wrong. Right. And it looks abusive and we have to show, well, no, here's what happened, but you really got to stop using brand registry in this way. It's just not what Amazon's intent is for it. And the other one that, that um, people abuse is those, those the, um, not project zero, the stickers. Why would I say the authenticity? Oh, transparency. Transparency. Thank yeah. you. I'm sorry. I have a brain, brain, uh, brain fart. Sorry. So they, so the idea behind that program, so transparency for those of you who don't know is this idea is that you're supposed to put a sticker, right? You got to pay like what a penny or two yeah, for each sticker, cheap. but you're supposed to, you put a sticker on every one of your inventory units. That way only units with that sticker can be admitted into Amazon FBA or can be merchant fulfilled. Like if you don't have that sticker, you can't list, right? If your product doesn't have a sticker. So right. By entering the program, people think, great, I'm going to make sure all my products are stickered, right? And nobody else can sell my stuff. The problem is, is that if you're selling stuff in other channels, such as Walmart or on your own Shopify site, and they don't have those stickers, that's a violation of the policy, right? Because right. Amazon doesn't want it just on Amazon. They want it on the supply chain, right? Because they're not, they don't want the, the, the transparency program to be used as a way to block other sellers. Amazon loves resellers. That's their whole... This is how they violate math agreements, right? They get sellers to go out and source these products way cheap from Walmart's clearance rack. I mean, if you've never been to a Walmart clearance rack, I used to work for Walmart corporate. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what they do when they need to clear out stuff, the negative margin. I mean, things that sell for $100, you can go to that Walmart clearance rack and, and buy for like two bucks. And you like go on Amazon sell for 100 I mean, it, it is crazy how, how much is out there um, that you can arbitrage. So... Amazon wants that. They, they love that because that makes prices lower. That makes prime members happy, right? So they're digging it. So they don't want you guys going in there and filing these brand registry complaints, taking people down who are, you know, resellers of authentic product. The other uh, way that this was done uh, and all legit, and it could have transparency on it or not. And that was uh, these rebate companies that would put up a uh, hundred units. And then what would happen is somebody would go out this is there's a course on this by the way mm -hmm. how you could screw around with these uh, rebate companies most of them don't exist anymore but you could go create a hundred different gmail accounts and just go in and take up whatever amount that they were offering and now mm -hmm. you could take it and you would be legitimately on arbitrage selling that product against the competitor at whatever price they wanted uh, because, you know, they got it for free. Uh, so just because that, and you're, you're so right. Transparency, first of all, is not an Amazon program. 
it's a program that you have to sticker every single product. Now, if you are a wholesaler or if you want to wholesale and you give a pallet away to somebody, oh, you're, you just opened yourself up to a competitor on Amazon. Amazon is a free market. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that because you own the brand that you just get, that there's no competition on your uh, brand. So you have to protect yourself. And uh, I know that I've talked about reseller agreements before. If you are working with wholesale, I've gone through a nightmare with one company that had 23 um, uh, sellers on the, of the product. None of them were counterfeit. But what had happened is they had major wholesalers around the company, major or country around the uh, major distributors around the country who sold them to other uh, other companies who all of a sudden started selling in the wholesale agreement to the distributor. It says that they could not sell on Amazon, but all of a sudden 23 people at the most uh, it went from 16 to 23 you couldn't get them off. You couldn't scare them off. And they had the legitimate right to do it. Scary. Well, actually, there was a glitch, but it was going to cost way too much money. And that was they had the original wholesaler agreement that said uh, uh, that they were not allowed to wholesale or anybody who they're selling to could not wholesale on Amazon. But didn't stick. Those agreements are really hard to enforce, even if you have them written. They're, they're you know, the, the FTC's position on a lot of this stuff is more like along the lines of, you know, you're really limited in how much you can limit once you sell the product to a, you know, wholesale, you know, how much you can really restrict it, you know, runs into a number of antitrust issues, whether it's, um, you know, you're creating territories, whether it could be seen as price fixing with MAP. So the way you're supposed to kind of handle it really is you're supposed to say like, okay, here's, here's what I want. You know, you let the, you let the wholesale buyer know, okay, here's, here are the rules. Yeah. Right. If they don't follow the rules, you're not really going to probably have much of a cause of action as much as you just have the right to just stop doing it. And that's how the sort of the FTC views this is like, you know, a lot of these restrictions you want to put probably may not be kosher, but you always have the right to choose who you do business with and who's not. So if you, if somebody isn't playing ball, there's nothing wrong with you just saying, hey, I'm not going to do business with you anymore. I'm not going to sell to you. You're done. Right. Yeah. And that's really how they want you to handle it without, you know, they don't, they don't want sort of like cross policies, you know, restricting certain movements. That just gets into a whole host of antitrust issues. But, you know, people do it. But just, you know, those contracts aren't always enforceable. Right. Like you're just, you're, you're still going to be limited to just sort of how do you control your supply chain? Right. Yeah. And how do you prevent others from getting your products. And that's really what Amazon wants you to do. They did, they, but they don't want you using their tools. Like they're very clear. They don't want you using their tools for, for basically controlling distribution. That's not what they're for. And they're yeah. very clear. Once they get a whiff that that's what you're doing, then it's like, it's shut down city. So. So one last uh, comment before we get into the questions and we got a bunch of them, but uh, sure. I, man, I have been so abused over the years, uh, but they're all learning lessons. I've got an MBA on the streets uh, yeah. in learning lessons. But uh, I went out, I had contractors. Uh, back in the late 90s, I was uh, outsourcing a lot to India and uh, had some really great uh, early on websites that were developed uh, over there by a bunch of artists. Until Getty came around in the mid-2000s, and all of a sudden, these are websites that I had for a while, and they nailed me. Mm -hmm. They came back with 
like one website was 30,000 bucks that they were looking mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. others. It, I think it, I think if my memory serves me right, it was over $300,000 in fines that they wanted. And I ended up negotiating with them, but it turned out that the, the, uh, the contractors that I was working with did exactly like he said a little while ago. They never bought the images. They didn't even buy them. They just grabbed them. And I ended up, I, and how stupid is this going to be? If I have to go back to my uh, clients who were, uh, there was a bunch of them and this could have been a year old, two years old, three years old and say, Oh, uh, you know, those images, you owe me 30,000 bucks for them or three. Like it it, it was about 3000. It was, we, we nailed it 10 to one. So uh, anyways, (laughs) 3000 bucks, I had to pay for all these. I had to pay for them all because I couldn't go back to my, and it was a learning lesson, but uh, mm-hmm. you are a hundred percent right. And if you're not, if, if you're not looking at that license and the extended license, you are opening up yourself for trouble. The algorithms are so good. They'll pick it up and one day you'll get nailed. If it's not Getty, it'll be somebody else. And there's software now. The lawyers, the law firm has software now and they go. And so like if I'm a photographer, I can upload my image to the software. And then if they find somebody using my image, they'll go after them for it. Yeah. So it's like really they've created these programs where it's like my clients get nailed with this all the time. It's like, oh, you use this image made by Bob Smith of Jersey, New Jersey. And they're like, now we're going to go after you. And, and and they revoke the settlement. It's it is it's it's um it, it, it's, it, it's, it is a problem and we see it a lot. And like I said, it, it makes buyers nervous too. So like even if you haven't had an issue, um, it, it does, it makes buyers nervous when you don't have that title because they're worried about that. Now the solution, of course, the other solution is to say, fine, let's just make new photos and let's budget for what that costs and try to negotiate, you know, okay, we'll hold back, you know, a couple grand or whatever it costs to make new photos that are traceable, but it still makes people nervous. And, and, um, you know, another thing people don't realize with infringement, it's a little tricky, you know, infringement is one of those, especially trademark and copyright infringement. It's one of those where you can actually, having an LLC can almost be useless because they try to make the argument that you individually were the person who committed the infringement, right? You committed the tort, right? Not your company, right? But you, by posting and publishing this thing, right? You're the one who commits infringement. So it's super important to have your head around that stuff because your LLC may not, you know, people think they're, oh, I have an LLC, so I can only be liable to the extent my business has assets. They can't go after me personally. No, not the case necessarily with infringement cases. They can, um, there are, there are causes of action where they can say, no, you were the one who committed the tort here. You're the one who infringed, not the company. You did it. You're the one who, who went out and put this picture up on the website, you know, may have been for the benefit of your company, but you did it. So therefore we're going to, we're going to go after you for infringement. So, you know, more, all the more reason to just have this stuff buttoned up and be able to, you know, be on top of it. That's where layering your companies is uh, important. And we could talk about that another day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. My old, right. My old, yeah. My old corporate days is my, my love, you know, <laughs> corporate and tax. That's, that's where I started out in the world. Oh, we've got a, a bunch of questions. Uh, how's your time doing, Paul? I'm good. I'm sound as a pound. I'm, okay. I'm good. All right. So if Paul's sound as a pound, then uh, perfect. Let's let's get over to some questions. 
All right, yeah, we got lots today. Uh, from Neil, uh, my Amazon guy says that a lot of sellers' brand registry and A-plus content are being shut down because Amazon has a problem with a bunch of lawyers that filed the trademarks. Why is this happening? That's a great question. Um, I hope Amazon doesn't take issue with, with us. We were the number one cited resource in the antitrust subcommittee investigation. We do a lot of work to fight for sellers. We have a pretty strong reputation. But yeah, I have been reading these cases. But I don't know what, what what's, you know, there have been lawyers who've been involved. In there. There's been a lot of shady things going on in the trademark office. And I read one article where the woman who was basically hired to fix the problem got implicated in, in, in this shady trademark dealings and Amazon put her on a, on a, on a no-fly list. Um, I think that's pretty ridiculous. Um, considering how it's being executed, I suspect this will probably end soon because the last thing you want to do is start defaming lawyers because that's, it, is, it sort of becomes defamation, right? Amazon's basically telling your client, like, hey, your lawyer is a scumbag and, and we're not going to respect their trademark that they filed. I mean, that, that's, that's not a smart move. I think whoever thought of that idea, this is fairly new. I think it's going to end probably very quickly. I think they're going to go back to the drawing board on this one because it's it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think I should mention, too, uh, you and your firm uh, are to thank for the whole Amazon sales tax thing going <laughs> yeah. away. We fixed that, yeah. We, we are definitely a part of it. We, we spent a lot of time. So we created a nonprofit called the Unlike Merchants Guild where we go out and fight issues for, that are important to sellers. And we try to, try to sort of build a trade association for e-commerce businesses, which, you know, did okay. It isn't done great. You know, it's hard to get small businesses to buy into this. Where I'm from, where I grew up as a corporate lawyer for Microsoft, Walmart, General Electric, that's how you play the game, right? The way you you level up on Amazon, right? If you're afraid of Amazon overreaching you because you're just this little guy, is you band together and you build a force. And that's what we tried to do. And we were very successful in many things. Um, we won some tax cases. Um, we, you know, we, we successfully challenged the overreach of price gouging during a pandemic where our, mem where our client members were, were basically afraid to sell a Nintendo because they thought that was the same as selling, you know, a, a mask because in some states, that's how it certainly felt like they were trying to make you feel, um, you know, N95 masks versus Nintendo versus, you know, uh, steak, uh, spices. Uh, it was crazy during the pandemic, what we were dealing with. So we created this association to do that. And well, one of our missions was to fix sales tax. And we always believe that even under the law prior to 2019, which was when the, when California switched over, um, started states started doing the switch over to, to, to self-collection Amazon being the collector in 2018, but it really didn't take stride until 2019 when California switched. And that's what we lobbied for. But yeah, that was super, super important because we really did not believe that small businesses should have to file and report sales tax, income tax, property tax in 50 states. I mean, 50 states plus 12,000 like micro jurisdictions. I mean, that's just suicide. And if anyone's thinking that that's what you need to do, you probably talk to us first because it's not the move. Um, this is a problem that Shopify sellers currently have and they're mm -hmm. trying to struggle with when's the right time to register. How do you register? Um, you know, because it is, it's super burdensome to have to file all these tax returns and, and a lot of- And expensive. Super expensive. Yeah, you're yeah. going to spend six days. I mean, it's 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 going to seem cheap at the front end. It's not because they're not telling you everything you need to do. You know, the sales tax companies are just selling you sales tax software, but they're not telling you about income tax. They're not talking about audit defense. They're not talking about you know having a staff of tax professionals on your team. I mean, you basically have the same tax filing obligations as Walmart if you register in all fifty states. It's crazy, um, and so 
but Shopify sellers, like we, we have clients who are Amazon sellers who basically what they do is on their Shopify site, they just link back to Amazon because they're so, they're so wanting to avoid this whole registration and all the states thing that they'd rather just give Amazon a sale, even though they make less money, because at least they don't have to register to collect sales tax. So it'll get done for them. And they don't have to take that risk. So we're seeing a lot, which is unfortunate. You know, we, we, we actually met with Congress, small business subcommittee uh, through the online merchant school right before the pandemic, like literally a week before the lockdown. We were, we had a big hearing in, in DC and we had a bunch of e-commerce companies come out and testify. Um, and then we had that, that little pandemic thing and it just all fell apart, but we were trying to get Congress to acknowledge that, you know, you're giving Amazon a little bit of an advantage here because it's so complicated to be a tax, to do your taxes on Shopify. So but yeah, it's an important issue. And at least for Amazon sellers, at least on the sales tax side, it's, it is sort of fixed on a perspective basis. So you younger Amazon sellers may not even know what we're talking about, but definitely be thankful that you're not dealing with what the poor people had to deal with in you know, who were selling oh, between 2012 and 2019. It was horrible. I mean, oh yeah, we still have cases. I mean, you know, people were getting their bank accounts levied on the day before Christmas. We had a case about that. We just, it was just nuts. People were getting told, oh, their life savings to California going back to 2012 and 2020. They were told that. I mean, it's just, it was just nonsense. I, I do have a, a client um, that I warned and warned and rewarned about this. He was selling uh, into Europe and he oh. got a nasty letter that he owned $1 million or 1 million euros in back taxes. Yeah. He just thought he could just go in there and sell it and not follow the rules. But anyways, this is so stupid, but you got to follow the rules uh, one way or the others. And we had to back in the day. And, you know, thanks to guys like Paul, we don't have to do that anymore. So on behalf of the Amazon sellers, thank you, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. But you know, it got me typecast. I got typecasted. That's the only thing I don't like about it. I got typecast as the tax guy. I think less so now, but you know, people are like, I have clients who come to me like, oh, I didn't know you did MA. I didn't know you did exit. I didn't know you did that. I'm like, I thought you just did sales tax. I'm like, no. That just was a very important issue that was close to my heart. It was constitutional law in the US. I wanted to take it on, but like, no, it's like we do other things. We, yeah, we never even got into that. We we haven't yeah. even touched that today. We'll have to have you back on a, another po- podcast to go over some of that stuff. Yeah, but it was really funny. But it's yeah, no, we I love doing it. It was really really fascinating. Really a lot of fun to go out to California and, and many times meet with government. And really, we were we were registered lobbyists for on behalf of the South. We registered as a lobbying organization in California and, and getting the laws changed. I was testifying before these various committees, and it was a lot of fun. I know. We got it done. And then we, we pushed that to the other states. We won a court case in Pennsylvania last year saying that, you know, FBA is not nexus for anyone who knows what that means, um, which was really important. So, yeah, we're, we're, getting, we're getting things done. So Awesome. All right. Next question. Okay. This one is from Spencer. Uh, I saw a brand copying my likeness and I reported them to Amazon. My brand registry was then taken away. I appealed, but the appeal was denied. My mark is still pending. What do I do to get my brand registry back? Yeah, those are tough cases, right? So, I mean, one is, okay, I mean, my, my first concern is, you know, the statement, my mark is still pending. So if you don't have a, if you don't have a valid mark, you shouldn't be using a brand registry. I mean, you're not even supposed to be, right? You shouldn't be reporting brand registry violations. Amazon doesn't care. That's right. right? Yep. About a pending mark. They don't care. Now you may have damages, but you can go to court get those damages of course court is very expensive this is something we teach our clients too this is very much our philosophy we 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 are a law firm that is 
is geared to keeping our clients out of court because we don't believe that there's, you know, not a lot of justice in the justice system for the average Joe or Jane, right? It's, it's very expensive to get a remedy in court. So yeah, realistically, you're not going to go and sue this person with a common law trademark that's pending registration, um, but don't use Amazon's tools. So that's step one. Um, what I would try to do is when the mark registers, you know, write a POA, write a plan of action, uh, explaining why, you know, you, the mistake you made and that you're, how you're going to, you know, do better, uh, that maybe you took some training on brand registry. Um, you know, that's, that's what my team does. You know, that's why we have seller basics and, and you know, we've, we've sort of turned account health into almost like an insurance product where it's like a hundred dollars a month, where if you, something happens to your ASIN or your account, we just go, go to work for you and help you get back online. I mean, we, we sort of started that that business model of, of account health that way. That's why we do it. But my a whole team who handles these every day and, and that's, but that's kind of where I would be focused. I'd be focused on first getting the registration because there's no point in arguing about it. If you don't have the registration, there's not much you can do. Right. I mean, it, you need the register. That's right. Registering with uh, brand registry uh, is just registering with brand registry. Nothing counts until you get that trademark. So, uh, the what was the other thing I was just going to say? Blah. A plus, okay. you get the A plus content, right? But you don't get, you know, right. You, wouldn't be you get all that. You, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. One of the things I was going to say is Seller Basics, uh, which is Paul's organization. That's a subscription uh, format for legal. So if you're running into issues, uh, it just, it retains a lawyer. I don't know if that's the proper word, but it, you've got uh, somebody that yeah. you can call if you have problems. It's a different business model. I know other folks have taken it differently because that's due to contractual concerns, I guess. I don't know why. I don't really know. Um, but we invented this business model and our business model, Seller Basics is not a law firm. Seller Basics has an account health department that helps you with account health issues. And you get access to a network of lawyers. So I'm one of the law firms or some other lawyers, and we will basically quarterback. So we'll listen to your case. We'll connect you with a lawyer who's got the subject matter expertise or knowledge to kind of help you. If it's not one of the lawyers in my firm, we've got other lawyers on the network who will take your call and help you through the issue. Um, but the lawyers are separate and apart from Seller Basics. They provide, you know, that for them, that's lead gen, right? They provide that free 15 minute consultation. But after that, it's between you and the lawyer to figure out how you're going to work together, right? But at least you can get answers. And I think that's so important. And that's why I invented this program because this started from sort of my, my, my old days when I first started out where I would tell my clients, like, you know, once you become my client, if you ever have an issue, right, just call me. No matter what the issue is, just call me. I'll, you know, don't, don't go to sleep. Don't, don't stay up all night worrying about it. Like, just get on the phone with me and let me know. And in my opinion, a lot of people who get in trouble with the law who have legal problems, a lot of those problems are preventable. That's what I've always noticed. And that 15-minute phone call that Seller Basics gets you as part of your $99 a month, that 15-minute phone call, it's like the Geico commercial, right? It could save you your business, right? Instead of saving you, you know, 500 bucks like a Geico, but it's like that 15-minute phone call with a lawyer can save your entire business because we can jump in before you make a decision and say, eh, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Right. And people miss that opportunity. And tax is a perfect example. I mean, I can tell you how many clients who are fighting off multi-million dollar tax assessments because they never talked to a lawyer beforehand. They just thought they knew what they thought they knew what to do. I oh, just register my business in all 50 States. No, not the move. Mm. Right. So that's a classic example of like, you know, had you talked to a qualified lawyer beforehand, we could have saved you a lot of problems in the future. 
Okay, next question. All right, the next question is from Neil. Uh, how much does it cost to add a class to your trademark? Uh, whatever the filing, I think it's the same. I think it's whatever the filing fee is. I think we charge the same. Um, what we charge, I think it's our 799, including the fee. I'm not the one who files it. I wish I had Bethany because she knows the, she's the trademark person on my team. So she really gets into the weeds. I, I actually hate the trademark office website. I can't hate everything about it. Um, I have some more stories about that too. Um, I, 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 but, uh, yeah, I would imagine it's whatever it's a couple hundred bucks. Um, so I, I think for us, it's probably about the same what we charge for a class because it effectively is a similar application. Like you have right. to file a new application. So I would imagine it's probably the 799, but I would defer to my Bethany and my team to clarify whether that's the case. Okay. And this one's from I, Chuck. Uh, my brand registry is now revoked because I filed copyright infringement wrong. Now I'm forced to hire an attorney to get my brand registry back. Is my issue of brand registry being revoked something uh, your firm handles? We do. Yeah. I mean, these are cases we, that's why I'm out here telling people to be careful with the brand registry because we're kind of tired of getting these cases. And we're like, we don't want people to, we want people to be more careful with BR. So it is something we handle. These are not easy cases. I'm not going to say we're going to definitely get you sorted, but I mean, we've, we've had success in the past. Sometimes we're not successful. It's sort of weird sometimes. Uh, sometimes it depends on the degree of how bad the violation is. Um, but, you know, if we take the time to learn your case, we might be able to spin a story that, you know, is reasonable to Amazon. It says, you know, you can get those rights back. But, um, yeah, we do. We definitely handle it. It's something we do quite a lot of. Like I said, like I, said I don't want to do it. I'd rather, I'd rather as much as, you know, yeah, sure, we get paid for it. But it's like, you know, I, I, I like to get paid for happy things. I, I don't like getting paid for sad things. So I prefer my clients, you know be very successful, exit their businesses. We help them like, you know, those, those sort of sad things in the interim, those are never fun. So if I can do anything to prevent it, I'm going to talk about it. Okay. And just a couple more questions from Simon. Um, can you register copyright and design registration if your product or image, et cetera, has been in the public domain for any length of time? Copyright, you can register, you know, copyright exists the moment, right? Like if I, I if I take a picture of the Eiffel Tower, my photograph of the Eiffel Tower technically creates, there's copyright, right, instantaneously, right? Or if I draw a picture of the Eiffel Tower, copyright exists instantaneously. So I can register that at any time. And you're talking about registering a design, and I think you're talking about design patent. No, then you would have, you have a time limit, right? You have one year from when it's commercially shown. You have a grace period. But copyright, you can always register anytime, right? Based on, right, you just have to know the date it was created and who the author is. So if you're the author, did you commission somebody else to do it for you. You just have to have that key information. Um, uh, duh, 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 duh. Yeah, so, but yeah, you should be able to get your copyrights in any time. Okay, and then we got this from Tony. Uh, is it worth paying extra for the Amazon IP accelerator? Honestly, no. I mean, I don't understand. I don't really know what the point of it is anymore. I mean, back in the day, like I always thought we were done with trademarks and I was kind of happy. Honestly, because I don't love trademarks. I don't love doing the work, but it's, I was kind of happy. Like, I was like, all right, we're just not going to be in the trademark business. It's fine. All right. Um, now that I have Bethany, I love trademarks again. But back then, I didn't, you know, I, I hate I hate using that website and I hate filing trademarks. And I was like, I was happy. But um, so, yeah, they created that program. And originally, like, you had to go through that program to get that early brand registry access, again, which really just turns on your A plus content. 
Um, but now I don't know the difference. I mean, if I file your trademark, I'm going to give you a serial number, right? Not a registration number, a serial number. And with that serial number, you're going to turn it, you can go on your Amazon website and you're going to unlock the brand registry and unlock the A plus content, just right. not the reporting. I don't know what the IP accelerator gets you in addition to that. And I'm not, as far as I'm aware, it's no different. I mean, we, we do trademarks all the time for people who are planning to use brand registry and we've had no issues, no complaints. Um, you know, it's just the way it works. So I, I, I'm not really sure what, what the status of um, IP Accelerator is. I, I'm not surprised we're not in it because um, we don't have a long history of trademark and two, we've, we've even sued Amazon from time to time in various uh, complicated litigations, just began as part of the uh, online merchants guild and, and other pro program uh, things. And like I said, we were the number one cited person in the antitrust investigation into Amazon's mistreatment of sellers, you know, and, and we worked a long way to try to kind of get Amazon to, treat sellers better. Um, but I don't think we're the most loved law firm for that reason, but I think we do have a good relationship with Amazon. Um, just built on a different foundation than being sort of cooperative shows. We're, we're very much, you know, try to be the, 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 the counter voice, right. To, to right. the Amazon machine. All right. Okay. And I think that's pretty much it. Um, I think, yeah, we covered anything, um, all the other questions. So, all right. Yeah. So uh, uh, let's give it about 30 seconds. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, this is where we go to the Wheel of Kelsey after the sponsor. But uh, hashtag Wheel of Kelsey uh, or tag two people. You'll get a second entry. Uh, we're going over to a sponsor. When we come back, we'll do the Wheel of Kelsey. So get that in right away and uh, we'll add you to the wheel. Okay, Kels, let's hit the sponsor. This episode of Lunch with Norm is sponsored by Rebade. Attention sellers and brand owners want to reach more shoppers and boost sales. Rebate's platform connects sellers with shoppers seeking great deals on new products. They make it easy to offer promotions, handle rebates, and ensure seamless redemptions. With countless reviews from satisfied customers, Rebate is the go-to solution to increase your sales. Visit Rebate.com today and start reaching more shoppers. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. All right. Here we go. The wheel's coming. The wheel is coming. All right. Here we go. It's time for the wheel of Kelsey. Okay. Right. A bunch of people today. Yeah. Thank you for entering, everyone. I'm going to shuffle these up. Give us a spin. And if you are the winner, please email me, k at lunchwithnorm.com. And we'll get you your prize. It looks like it is. Oh, Tom. He got it. All right. Congratulations, Tom. Uh, just email me, k at lunchwithnorm.com, and we'll get you over uh, to Paul. Okay. Yeah, my, my email address is easy. It's just paul at ecom.law or paul at sorrybasis.com. So very easy to find me. Perfect. Well, Kelsey will arrange all of that. All you have to do is send your email over to k at lunchwithnorm.com and he'll make sure that you uh, you get the information over to Paul. All right, sir. The Wheel of Kelsey. There we go. It reminds me of this old British comedy show called Alan Partridge. I don't know if you ever watched it. with Steve Coogan. I don't know. Anyone no, I know Stephen Coogan. Yeah, it was like one of his first characters that he ever created was this guy, Alan Parch. It's like this radio host in England. It's like one of the funniest shows 
Um, <laughs> in the first season, there's a scene that just reminds me of, like, the Wheeler Kelsey reminded me of that for some reason. But I don't know, maybe the British people on here don't know what I'm talking about. But, um, well, uh, We'll do a live wheel of Kelsey where we actually Velcro him. He can be the arrow <laughs> at an event, maybe BDSS, and see what that what happens there. Uh, Paul, it's been awesome having you on. Um, this has been great. I like I had five or six things we were going to get into today, and we ended up on IP, which is great. We cleared up a lot of uh, myths and you know mistakes that sellers are doing. So just wanted to thank you and we've got to have you back on. Love to be back. I, I you know, love talking about this stuff. We, we really try to stay at the front of everything that's going on and uh, yeah, love talking about it. And, you know, the other thing I'll say for anyone who didn't win, the, for, the, for those of you who didn't win the wheel of Kelsey, the other thing we do offer is free. If you are planning to sell your business and you just want to, even if it's in the next couple of years, we just want to know about it, talk about it one-on-one, -on -one, ask the questions you can always email me and set up a call and we do that complimentary. That's no problem. So we always want right. to help people get on that track, but thanks so much for having me on the show. And I do, yeah, I'd love to be back and uh, have lunch again, um, you know, or maybe dinner or maybe a snack. I think it's just a snack time with Norm. Snack. Really quick, yeah, yeah. A bite. Snack. I just, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. a nosh, a nosh, yeah, nosh with Norm. You know? There we go. <laughs> so, Okay. Well, are you going to be are you going to be going to that New Jersey event? Are you going to accelerate? If you send me a link, I'll go. I mean, it's it's it's. I guess I have to go to the Metal Lens next week for like a wholesale conference. So I'm. It's not far. I mean, I'm usually I'm half. I'm either between Florida and Jersey all the time. So yeah, easy enough to get out to the Metal Lens. Oh, that'll be good. Another cigar. Yeah, I love exactly, exactly. So, thank you, everyone. Thank you to the to the audience, and thank you so much, Norm, for having me on. Want more great information? Don't forget to subscribe by clicking here. Also, if you want to check out our latest podcast, click over here. Lunch with the, lunch with the, lunch with the.